Good morning, everybody. Our passage this morning comes from John chapter 6, verses 1 through 21. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about five thousand in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. This is the word of the Lord. For those of you that uh, don't know me, or, for the, or maybe a reminder for those of you that do, uh, my wife Amy and I have been married uh, for, this year will be 12 years, and early on in our marriage we had recently moved to Columbia, uh, and our firstborn had recently been born, he was little, and as married couples do, we were trying to find a an entertaining show to watch once we had him settled in in bed and it was time to unwind. And at this point, we were all caught up on the office and parks and rec as one should be. And uh, so we're scrolling through Netflix and we we decided to give this one show a try called Undercover Boss. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the show or not, but deep down, there was part of me there was a slight hope of giddy joy of just seeing these these CEOs humbled a bit. That was that was what I was hoping for. Um, but for those of you that aren't familiar with the show, it started in 2010, and each episode has uh, the CEO or CFO of a major co- company or corporation put on a disguise uh, and uh, uh, work with. Uh, 
like an entry-level position in the job just to see what it's like on the other end of the company. And every episode has the same format. It starts with seeing this executive in all of their luxury and their, their massive home and just the, the, the ease and comfort of, of their, their status. And they put on their disguise and they're partnered with a, with a, a low-level worker uh, who has been told that they're filming a documentary on you know, the way that they do their work or, or things like that. And the worker is told to, to help train this new person and show them how to do the job and just share a, a life-changing event that's, that's happened in your life. And every, every time it's some tearjerker, you know, a, a, a sick child or, you know, they, uh, parents have died so they've had to raise their family all by themselves. Like every episode, uh, they find these, uh, these people that, like, you, they just, their story moves your heart. And at the end of each episode, the worker goes to what they believe is going to be filming the final segment of, of their part of the documentary, where they're going to wrap up their, their part. And then the CEO exposes, they, they take off the wig, and I was the boss all along. Um, and yes, there is a, an element of the boss, of the, the executive that was humbled, but it ends up becoming this life-changing event for the worker because every time the CEO, CFO, whoever, says, I had no idea what it's like on this end. And I've seen your struggles. And not only do I want to, to help you where you are, I want to help you out of your struggles. And it, it, you know, I want to buy you a home, or I want to pay your college tuition, or I want to pay your child's medical bills, whatever it is. It's this, it's this fact that they walk in with a single expectation and they're confronted with something that is so much greater, so far beyond the expectations that they had walking in. And that's what we see the crowd experience in this passage here. There's a group of people following Jesus with certain expectations. They want to see what he's doing. It specifically says that they're following him because they saw the signs that he was doing in healing the sick. What is he going to do next? And in this experience, Jesus confronts, confronts the people and their expectations in a miraculous way and goes far beyond anything that they had conceived. And this passage reveals to the reader, even today, that every believer, every Christian can trust Jesus Christ to provide. Reading this passage, it's more than just a display of, of power. It's, it's not a, a, a fairy tale. This isn't a nice story that we tell our, our children and, and hope that they grow up to give away their bread and fish to, to those who are hungry but it's a revelation of who Jesus Christ is. He's not just a teacher. He's not just a wise man or a prophet or some spiritual guru. He's the long-awaited Messiah who reveals his deity in his meeting specific needs of the people that are there. 
More specifically in this passage, we see three things about Jesus. First, we see that Jesus is greater than physical needs. In verses 1 through 13, Jesus is greater than physical needs. In verses 14 through 21, we see that Jesus is greater than immaterial needs. So he meets physical needs, but he's greater than those. He's also greater than the immaterial needs. In the passage as a whole, we see that Jesus is the God that your soul needs. Before I go any further, let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you that you you are a God that speaks to your people. That we come with our expectations. We come uh, with the things that we hope for. And you don't just meet us where we are. You go beyond. You are greater than anything that we could ever hope for. And so in this time now, this morning, God, I pray that you would meet us here, that uh, this wouldn't just be a, a time of hearing your word, but God, that even now that you would be greater than our expectations, that your spirit would break down the walls in our hearts, that you would transform our hearts and minds by the power of your word, that you would speak through a broken vessel like myself and reveal the majesty and beauty of our Savior. Lord, be with us now in this time. And it's in his holy name we pray. Amen. Now the first reason that believers can trust Jesus to provide is because he is greater than physical needs. Now at this point uh, in the the overall narrative, this is the second year of Jesus' ministry. Uh, He's been going around and doing miraculous things in in the area of Galilee. And he's developed a following. He has his disciples, the ones that are directly studying underneath him and following his teaching, but he also has a a group of followers uh, that just want to see what he's doing because he's been been going around teaching. He's been going around doing miracles and people are saying, what's he going to do next? You know, I don't, you know, I I, I heard that there was a a guy whose kid was, was sick and he's not anymore. Or did you hear about that guy at the pool? Yeah, he, he got up and walked away. And so all these stories are going around of what this, this teacher had been doing in the area. And the people are saying, I need to see what happens next. So he has a crowd of people following everywhere he goes. They didn't necessarily believe who he was. In fact, in verse 2, it specifically says... Uh, a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Not because they believed he was the Messiah. Not be- because they believed that he was going to reconcile them to God. They, they were following because they saw what he did. So at this point, uh, the, the crowd is following him. And the interesting part of this story is that this account is not just listed in John. This miracle is actually listed in all four Gospels in various lengths, but it's recorded by all four Gospel writers. Matthew 14, Mark 6, Luke 9, and here in John 6. In fact, in Matthew and Mark, it says that 
when Jesus saw the crowd of people that he had compassion on them. That's why he was healing their sick and things like that because he was moved to compassion. And so that's why he was teaching them. That's why he was healing them. But at this point, it's getting late in the day. And so the question arises, what are we going to eat? That's a very important question. And I know that sounds silly because in our culture, you know, we don't really have to think that far ahead. Even if we're hungry now, we know we can go home and in the fridge, there's going to be something we can eat. But at this point, there's this massive crowd of people that have followed Jesus to this mountainside. I'm getting hungry. And so that's physical need number one. Food. Physical sustenance. They need something to fill themselves with. That's a real need. And so Jesus tests Philip. He already knows what he's going to do. He knows the miracle that he's about to perform, but he's testing Philip's faith. He's testing uh, what has, has what Philip seen registered yet? Has it clicked? And so he asks Philip, where are we going to buy bread so that all these people can eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. We don't really deal in denarii as our currency. But a denarii was about a day's worth of wages. So in order to feed all of these people, they needed 200 days worth of work for everyone to get a little. To, to put that uh, in a little bit more, uh, I guess, uh, graspable understanding, if you just worked weekdays, you have your, your weekends off, you worked Monday through Friday, then you would be working January through August to feed this group of people. Not spending money on anything else, but working straight from January through August, using all of that money to buy food and saying, all right, now we're going to feed everybody. If you worked every day nonstop, that would be January 1st to July 17th, working every day nonstop and say, all right, now we're going to have a massive cookout. I kind of want to be there for that. But that reveals the physical need number two. Finances. Money. Not only is there the need for people to be fed, that people are getting hungry, but we have no way to pay for this. We can't, we can't buy enough food for everybody. And then Andrew says, well, kid here who who has some bread and, and some fish. It's five loaves and, and two fish, but... And at this point, in my mind, I can, I, I can almost see, imagine this look of exasperation on Jesus' face because his disciples have seen him do these miraculous things time and time again. And in, in my head, it's just, I see Jesus saying, just tell him to sit down, please. It... it He's not angry, he's, but it's just, guys, you know something's about to happen. 
And so Jesus gives thanks and distributes and starts distributing the food. And he gave, and he gave, and he gave, and he gave. So much so that after everyone was finished, they had 12 baskets of leftovers. What started off as two fish and a plate of biscuits became full stomachs and 12 baskets of leftovers. And I'll confess, this makes no sense. We say, I have no idea what just happened there. And, and usually you'll try to see, some people try to make excuses like, oh, well, you know, they saw the, the child give his food and so everyone was moved to share what they had on them. No. Somehow, in a miraculous fashion, these five pieces of bread and two fish fed everybody there. Scripture doesn't give details. Did the, the bread grow back after he broke it? Did the bread expand each time? We don't know. But somehow, according to God's math, and this is going to take you back to math class for just a moment, but five plus two is going to equal 5,000 with a remainder of 12. Somehow, five baskets plus two fish equals 5,000 full stomachs with a remainder of 12 baskets of leftovers. Somehow, the miraculous showed up on that mountainside that day. There was a literal need for food and a need to pay for food. Not just a couple of, of, of Big Mac meals, you know, get you a, a, a few Cokes and some fries and a few burgers, but we've got to feed an entire stadium full of people here, and we don't have the money to do it. But not only did they not end up paying anything, but they had so much food that there were leftovers. There were, they had more ending than what they started with. I don't know the science behind the miracle. That's part of why it's called a miracle. But what I do know is that there was a need and Jesus met it. So many times in my own life, I've seen God show up with miracles when I was in college, there would be times where I didn't have money for food. And then someone would come up and just say, hey, why don't I take you out to lunch today? Completely unprompted. It doesn't seem like much, but in my mind, I was wondering, what am I going to eat? And God put someone in my path to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to take care of you today. There have been times in our marriage where finances are tight. And we have to make that decision, are we going to pay this bill or are we going to buy groceries? And then somehow, just in the nick of time, a check shows up in the mail for just the amount that we need. Sometimes even the amount that we need and we get to get a little bit of Chinese food on the side. But somehow when logically it looks like nothing is going to make sense and nothing is going to work, God shows up in ways that we don't expect. And I don't know what your needs are. Your physical needs might be the basic needs of, of food for, for tomorrow or, or money to, to pay a certain bill. Or it might be something heavier and more complicated than that. It might be some 
type of healing or a surgery. It might be that you need a specific medicine just to help you get through the day. It might be even just understanding what it is that you need to figure out that's causing this frustration in, in your, your health or in your family or in your finances. We've got to find a solution. And what we see in this passage is that when we have needs, Jesus has a recurring habit of taking your expectations and doing something miraculous that far exceeds anything that you could have ever, ever expected. And sometimes it's, it's an answer that you would have never have thought of. But he takes your expectations and he does the miraculous and he invites you to look examine who this Jesus is and I invite you today examine Jesus and ask him to provide ask him to show up say Jesus I have this need fill in the blank whatever it is in your life God I need you to meet me here ask him to show up Because in doing so, he'll often reveal that he is not only greater than physical needs, but he's greater than your immaterial needs as well. After Jesus performs this miracle with the the fish and the bread, the people begin to, to stir. They begin to murmur. It's the prophet. It's him. Things are going to change now. This is the one who's going to change everything. In the account of, of Luke's telling of this story, in Luke 9, verse 19, Jesus has asked his disciples, the crowd, who, you've, you've heard them talking, who do they say that I am? And in Luke 9, 19, the disciples answered, they say you're John the Baptist, but others say Elijah and, and others, that's one of the prophets of old who is risen. So the crowd is talking amongst themselves and, and they, they take all of these answers that they've seen already. Oh, that's got to that's gotta be John the Baptist. You know, he, they said that he was killed, but this is really him. Or Elijah has come back. They take the things that they already know and they say, this is the expe- expectation that I have. This, is, this must be the answer. But then they get the idea, not only has this prophet come, we need to make him king. And so that shows the, need, the next need, an immaterial need, but they need a leader. They're unhappy with the way things are in life and they need someone to give them some guidance. They don't just want a teacher, they want someone to lead them. And at this point... Jesus realized it's time to go. And what's interesting is because even though the, the feeding is in all four Gospels, uh, in this account it says that the people came to, to get Jesus and he retreated and then uh, the disciples departed. But in Matthew and Mark, we're told that Jesus told the disciples to get in the boat, go ahead and start going, and he's going to, to send the, the crowd on their way. 
And so while the, the, the distinctives are kind of dispersed throughout the, the gospel narratives, what's important here is the people want a leader. And Jesus says, it's not time. You're expecting some kind of governmental change right now. I'm not here to do that. So he sends them on their way, sends the, the disciples uh, across the sea. But as the, the disciples are, are crossing the, the sea, a storm rolls in, and they only make it halfway across the sea. And as the, the, the account tells, these, these huge winds come and, and bring these massive waves. And then in the middle of the night, they see something off in the distance. And the disciples are in the boat and they're looking and they see the waves crashing. They're like, what, what is that out there? And then it, it, it keeps coming and they realize, that's a guy. It looks like a guy walking on the water towards us. This is not right. This is not normal. And they are freaking out, which I think would be an appropriate response in that situation. If you're in the middle of any massive body of water and you see someone walking towards you, a normal response would be like, something is not right. And so it shows their next need. They need hope. They have a storm raging around them. And they have what they believe is some sort of ghost or something coming toward them on the water. They are freaking out. They need hope to show up. And Jesus gets close and says, it is I, do not be afraid. Guys, come on, it's me. Everybody at this point has revealed their expectations of who this Jesus is. The followers want a a ruler. They want someone to drive the Romans out of their land and and reestablish their their place as a people. The disciples, expecting Jesus to find some other way across the sea, are freaking out right now, and they need something to combat their fear. But we see these needs every day in our culture. We see politicians and political parties twisting Scripture to fit certain political agendas. In some cases, uh, we even see people looking to politics as a necessity for our churches. I'll never forget a few years ago, uh, I was visiting another church And after the service, I had someone come up to me, uh, and they actually said, uh, President Trump is the last bastion of the American church. And regardless of how you feel about him or any president, about any administration, Republican, Democratic, whatever. The Christian faith is not dependent upon any political leader. The Christian church is not dependent on any human in order to survive because what God has established, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And yet how quickly do our hearts go to looking for a political savior 
to reinforce what we expect and how we expect the church to move forward. We see a, we see a culture struggling for hope. My wife Amy is a counselor with the Berkeley County Department of Mental Health, and she said that in her time there, since the pandemic has been, there has been an exponential increase in people coming to counselors and therapists for anxiety and depression. Because what is going on in our culture is, it, it, it's not just a, a passing season, but it, it's this long-lasting effect that is driving people to fear, to depression. Every day, you can turn on the news and there's something new to be afraid of. Some new household item that might give you some type of cancer or some new political uh, action that is, is taking course or, or even, I mean, to be honest, the, 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 the crisis in Ukraine and the, the constant threat of is there going to be a war uh, that we get involved in or is, is it going to escalate or what's going to happen? There's always something new to be afraid of every day. I hear about another death of losing a loved one or uh, friends who have lost loved ones. Uh, you hear about people losing their jobs or, or having to take pay cuts because businesses have declined over the past couple years. Like the disciples, you and I are surrounded by a storm of fear. And sometimes even to the point where hope itself seems terrifying. That you can see Jesus off in the distance, but it's almost that sense of you, you're afraid you don't want to get hurt again. Don't give me hope and then not follow through. So sometimes hope itself adds to the fear. And yet Jesus is standing there saying, it's me. Don't be afraid. I don't know what immaterial needs you're longing for. Maybe you need some sense of direction. Maybe you need hope to show up in the midst of your storm. Maybe you're, you just feel like your life is in constant chaos and you just need a sense of peace and rest. Invite Jesus to show up. Ask him to step into your boat in the midst of your storm. And when you do, you can realize that he is the God that your soul needs. Imagine for a moment if after uh, the Revolutionary War that the founding fathers, they've written the, the Declaration of Independence, they've written the Constitution, and then they sit down and they say, thus saith the Lord, and they start uh, uh, proclaiming what God is doing amongst the people. Imagine the following that that would gather. Imagine the adoration that people would, would heap upon them. Now that, in a sense, is how the Jewish culture, the Jewish people looked at Moses. They looked at Moses 
the one who uh, did these miraculous signs in Egypt, and they followed him. That as they were leaving Egypt, that he parted the sea. As they, they went to Mount Sinai, and God spoke to Moses to speak to the people. And as they wandered in the wilderness, Moses prayed, and manna appeared. When they, when they were hungry, God provided. They looked at Moses, and they were, were reminded of the Passover, that before they exited Egypt, that their families were, were saved and remained safe because they put the blood of a lamb on the doorpost of their home. And in this passage, John is revealing that Jesus is greater than the Moses that they adored, the Moses that they longed for. Like, like Moses, people saw the signs that Jesus was doing and they followed him. But instead of speaking through Moses on a mountain, here was Jesus, God in the flesh, speaking directly to the people himself. When the people were hungry, Moses prayed that God would deliver and manna appeared. And yet here on this mountainside, God in the flesh takes food right there in their presence and continues to feed and feed and feed. As Moses parted the sea as they walked on dry land, here is Jesus walking on top of the sea. And in a few weeks as we celebrate Easter and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we're reminded that Jesus is the greater Passover. That as they looked to Moses and they were reminded of the blood of a lamb on their doorpost, we look to the cross and we see the blood of the lamb who is shed for our sins. And oftentimes we look at these people in Scripture, we look at these followers, and, they, and, and we laugh and we, oh, they just don't get it. If they knew what we knew, they would clearly follow Jesus. But we're no different from them. In our hearts and in our culture today, we want a Jesus that fits our expectations, that can fit into a nice box that we can understand. We want a Jesus that is going to affect what we believe politically because we want our faith to meet our needs. But Jesus didn't die to make you a better American. Jesus didn't go to the cross and rise again to make you a better Democrat or Republican. Jesus came to reconcile you to a holy God. He didn't come to be a, a, a good teacher to, to teach moral values or to be some sort of spiritual therapist. He came to make you holy. In his sermon, The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis is recorded as saying, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. 
like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. What C.S. Lewis is saying there is our expectations are so low and so limited for what we want God to show up and do. Our expectations are so low that we miss the holiness and the beauty and the grandeur of who Jesus truly is. As John says, he's the word became flesh. That he is the creator that stepped into creation. As Paul wrote in Colossians 1.17, that he being Jesus is, is before all things and in him all things hold together. That he just didn't create everything, but he's also the one sustaining everything. This is the prophet who is greater than Moses, who doesn't need money to feed thousands of people who nature itself submits to as he walks upon water. This is the Son of God who took your sin and your guilt and your shame and nailed it with himself uh, onto the cross so that you would be holy and righteous. That you would be declared a holy child of God and you would be reconciled to him. And so again, I don't know your needs, your physical needs, the, the, your immaterial needs, the things that you long for, the things that you hope for. I don't know what you expect Jesus to do and show up in your life. But I, I challenge you to examine your own expectations. Are you going to settle for the mud pies of this world? Just looking to get your f- immediate physical needs met? Or making sure that Jesus safely fits into your expectations of him? Or will you trust that Jesus is going to show up and deliver something miraculous? Are you longing to see Jesus greater and more lovely than you could ever imagine or dare hope for him to be? How will you choose to live? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you this morning and we confess we set our eyes way too low. More often than we care to admit, God, we live in fear and anxiety and doubt. We're afraid of the storms that rage around us. We're afraid of of the needs that we have and fear that that you won't show up. And sometimes we've gotten to the point where we're so cynical and jaded that we don't even want to hear the word hope anymore because we don't want to be let down. God, we want to see something miraculous show up be the miracle that that we need not so that we can believe but so that your name would be glorified that our doubt would be 
would turn to faith so that our, our, our fear would turn to rejoicing. That we would see the miracles that you do in the world around us and we would dance and sing and rejoice and say, look at what our glorious God can do. God, show up. Meet us where we are. Take our lowly mud pie expectations and throw them out the window. Show us how great and mighty and beautiful and holy you truly are. And give us the strength to trust and follow and rest in that, uh, that, that hope that you and only you can bring. And we pray all of this in the mighty name of our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.